Welcome to the Rise and Resilience of Populism in Eastern Europe. I'm Sveta Petrova, a lecturer in the Political Science Department at Columbia University. With this interview series, we seek to popularize academic scholarship on contemporary European populism. Over the past decade, a number of European populist parties have become increasingly competitive in key votes. And in Eastern Europe, some of these parties have not only come to power, but remained in office in consecutive elections. So in the interviews for this series, we seek to interrogate some of the main drivers and impacts of populist mobilization in post-communist Eastern Europe. The series is hosted by the European Institute at Columbia and is made possible with the support of the Erasmus Plus program of the European Union. The European Commission's support, however, does not constitute an endorsement of its contents, which reflect the views of the interviewer and interviewees alone. Today, I'll be speaking with Dr. Bela Greskovic. He's a university professor at the Department of International Relations and the Department of Political Science of Central European University. His research focuses on the political economy of East Central European capitalism, social movements, and democratization. His articles have appeared in Studies in Comparative and International Development, West European Politics, Journal of Democracy, um, among others. His book, Capitalist Diversity in Europe's Periphery, written together with Dorothy Bolle and published by Cornell University Press, was awarded the 2013 Steinrocken Prize for Comparative Social Science Research. Professor Greskowitz, how are you? I am very well, Sveta. Uh, very much for this kind introduction, and uh, I am really, really happy that uh, I can share uh, results of an ongoing research on the civil society basis and other sources of the rise and resilience of Fidesz power or Orban Viktor's regime in Hungary. Thank you so much. I'd love to hear more about your research on the Fidesz regime in Hungary, which is defined by many as populist. So let's start our conversation with your definition of this regime. So let me then start with um, saying that actually uh, populism, the term populism and the label populism in the Hungarian case is not entirely wrong, but it's very incomplete. So Orman himself, told several times that he is not the best. Uh, he said he wants to speak about nation and economy and society in such ways which are actually programmatic and challenge uh, labels like nationalism or anti-market sens uh, sensitivities and populism. So uh, the biggest problem I have with the populist notion that it tends somehow to reduce politics. Uh, and this is, of course, a, a caricature, what I'm telling, but not entirely mm -hmm. uh, wrong, I think, uh, to the interaction between cynical leaders who fool the electorate and tempt them uh, with um, uh, promises and fake promises that then they never fulfill. And 
this this approach tends to overlook the supply side of politics, uh, which I find extremely important based on my findings uh, in um, as factor as, as the factors of Orbán's rise to power and resilience in power. So basically, I define the regime by the features of a hegemony ideology uh, by its uh, deep embeddedness, thorough embeddedness in grassroots networks and hierarchical organizations uh, that can serve and do serve the the, as the foundations for lasting solidarity that is important for power uh, and, and also allows to recruit multi-class blocks of voters from the left and all fra certain fractions of the left and uh, many fractions of the right who then can feel not just as voters defined by various uh, indicators of socioeconomic status, but actually as members of identity communities. There is a, a for there to build stronger uh, mm. ties and communities. So before we get into that, let me just pause here and flag some of the key points that you've made so far. And the first one speaks to how we think about the Fidesz regime. There are some scholars who understand populism as a political strategy. And it's a strategy where we have a populist leader who appeals to the people or the nation um, directly, reaching out to them in a direct quasi-personal manner that bypasses established intermediary institutions. Or if this leader is building a new party or reviving an old party, it remains a personal vehicle with a relatively low level of institutionalization. Um, but you warn against this kind of label um, of populism, this kind of understanding of populism to be used in describing Orban's mobilization of, the, of his electorate. Um, and instead you emphasize the social embeddedness of the Fides movement. I think that's very interesting. And then um, not only that, but you spoke about its programmatic ambitions and the combination of right-wing identity mobilization by the movement, as well as the socioeconomic mobilization by the party. So you're offering a supply side argument that is not, or at least not solely about the ideological positioning of either the left or the right in Hungary, but it's rather about the agency of the right in building up its social capital and eventually translating it into, um, into political capital. The whole uh, story of Viktor Orban and Fidesz uh, and generally the right in Hungary is not a game of two actors, you know, fooled voters and the leader. There is a multi-layer of grassroots organizations and, and movements, large hierarchical organizations, uh, media uh, organizations, mm -hmm. the Catholic Church, mm -hmm. the Reformed Protestant Church, nationalist organizations, not just in Hungary, 
but also in the neighboring countries, in the territory of so-called Greater Hungary. In your research, you've emphasized the Fidesz's movement ambivalence toward democracy. So I was hoping you could elaborate on that a little bit and, and tell us about how the movement thinks about democracy, both at the political and at the civic level. So I tried to characterize the East European members, uh, East Central European members of the uh, new members of the, that time new members of the European Union by empirical indicators of, of uh, democratic backsliding and, and, uh, and democratic hollowing. By hollowing, I mean um, uh, what was pretty much experienced uh, over the last 30 years of the transition, although with ups and downs that people increasingly shied away from political participation. They don't, uh, uh, they don't like to be members of political parties. Uh, trade union membership collapsed. Uh, mm -hmm. The election participation is typically much lower than in the West, be it, uh, be it uh, European elections or municipal election. Uh, now, on this uh, and contrasting it uh, with democratic backsliding, which I, I consider uh, basically a reversal in the development of democratic institutions, which is a, an elite-based issue. So you need the, the democratic hollowing refers to uh, withdrawal of people from mm. politics. Uh, mm. The backsliding story refers to elites who are illoyal to democracy and therefore undermine its institutions. Now, the interesting thing is that in East European, in various East Central European countries, hollowing and backsliding combines differently. And Hungary then I uh, characterized as a regime with a very dramatic backsliding in institutional terms but not hollow. So there is this mobilization uh, character of the regime. Uh, and I try to go further and, and try to contrast it with other countries which have uh, hollow them, relatively hollow democracies with low participation, but, uh, but institutionally relatively impact, intact uh, so far. Some of the Baltic states fit, fit the category search now. If we uh, talk about the ideology a little bit. So it is a counter hegemonic ideology using here the Gramscian term, which is absolutely not by chance. Orban Victor is very familiar with the work of Gramsci. Okay, the counter hegemonic uh, uh, um, characteristics is also clear uh, from a very famous each he gave after he lost, he and his party lost the 2002 national elections. Uh, in the very moment, the first moment of being in opposition, he founded a major movement about which I will talk in, major, in, in, in a minute. Uh, <clears throat> and he gave a speech in which he told about many things, including that his followers uh, 
and basically the civic forces, as he calls them, cannot be in opposition, no matter who is in power, because the homeland cannot be in opposition. Mm -hmm. The nation cannot be in opposition. Mm -hmm. The country cannot be in opposition. Mm -hmm. Now, if it cannot be in opposition, then of course, the aim is to conquer society and come to political power. Now, from this <clears throat> and rather powerful ideology <clears throat> comes, which is uh, a combination of an attack uh, on liberalism as a force of economic dispossession mm -hmm. and as an agent of emancipation, mm -hmm. which however emancipates the wrong actors. Mm -hmm. So as a force of economic dispossession, the ideology or the criticism has several layers. Uh, Orban details of peripheral regions, East Central Europe in this case, nations, especially the Hungarian nations, but nations in general, but also individuals. Uh, and as to the emancipation, the problem, his problem, uh, or the ideology with emancipation is pretty much what we see elsewhere in the world, that it undermines the culture's hierarchies and roles that social conservative people and the populist electorate considers as a fatal danger to social cohesion, right? So now what is interesting still from this ideology is that it absorbs actually content and spirit uh, from very eclectic sources, ranging from the Christian intellectual milieu, social conservatism of Christian uh, intellectuals, the Catholic social doctrine, nationalist social democracy. So we have a very interesting mixture of left and right elements in the ideology, unreformed communism, and even sometimes globalization crit critical or alter globalist new left views of mm -hmm. environmentalism and anti-war sentiments. Mm -hmm. uh, there is one glue that uh, basically glues together these various uh, sources uh, eclectic sources, which is that all of them uh, converge on the critic of liberalism. And together they can appeal to large and diverse constituencies. Mm -hmm. Now turn to the <clears throat> community aspect, organizing, conquering uh, civil society. Mm -hmm. So community, Crafting community, nurturing and, and strengthening community has always been central to Orban's thinking here. While the liberals are preoccupied with freedom, but don't accept moral constraints, the mm. principle of moral, uh, the, 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 the constraints of moral principles, socialists are preoccupied with modernization but not with freedom, neither with morals. So they reduce modernization to its materialist, crude materialist aspects. The civic forces build a community which brings together 
freedom, morals, as well as uh, modernity and well-being. Now, the purposes and agency of forming these communities differed rather radically in years of opposition. He mm. spent eight years in opposition and with civil society building and in power mm. since 2010. Mm -hmm. And also differed in good times and bad times, mm. like the hard times of the global financial crisis uh, and, and the recession starting from 2000. Mm -hmm. So, so let's now focus on this process. Um, and and if you could please take us from this mobilization as it occurs while Fidesz is in opposition, and then um, how it evolves once Fidesz comes to power. First of all, it was a massive movement in terms of its membership and its activities. So, sources talk about 11,000 circles. Now it's very difficult to count them because many of these circles were not officially registered mm -hmm. uh, organizations, but uh, indeed uh, circles, uh, let's say uh, school communities, uh, small um, village communities and so on. Uh, but uh, its leaders talk about uh, 11,000 circles, about nationwide, uh, 163,000 members. Now, again, uh, there is uh, really no chance to count them, but if uh, we can count more 100,000 activists, this is actually close to or even more than the combined membership of all the political parties in Hungary. And it's about one third of the that time membership of the trade unions in Hungary. Hmm. They were active in thousand localities out of the about two, uh, three thousand Hungarian municipalities and were organizing, sponsoring about five thousand events. Or this, this is the number of events that I could capture uh, in my collection. These events then range from lectures about a variety of topics to balls, mm. carnival uh, events, church-bound events, uh, trips to the neighboring countries, which remind of pilgrimages to the holy places of the nation, mm -hmm. media events. Uh, it's a great variety of very colorful events, summer camps for uh, young people, uh, students, and so on. Now, the events were dominantly metropolitan and urban, but also transborder. This is interesting. So it is not that the civic circles uh, basically were much uh, countryside. Uh, for civic culture, of course, you would uh, uh, look for and you find them in the capital and actually in the richer districts, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not in the small places, not in the worker uh, districts of the capital, which takes me to the next uh, issue. Uh, okay, they were also transborders. So a large number of uh, circles existed actually in the neighboring countries and the ethnic Hungarian Mm -hmm. uh, populated uh, territories of the neighboring countries, but also 
uh, in New York, uh, Philadelphia, uh, Argentina, Canada. So the whole diaspora was also involved. Uh, in terms of social stratification, uh, these are uh, people based from the educated Christian national middle class, meaning we talk here about conservative teachers, conservative lawyers, doctors and nurses, clergy, uh, and media pundits, media people. So as to the teachers and, and the doctors, uh, as we know, these are pretty much feminized professions. This tells you a bit about the participation of women in the movement, which was very significant. Hmm. And these were members didn't take part mostly as individuals, but already members of other in, uh, organizations, social, conservative, Christian, national uh, organizations. Um, the movement was also militant in terms of its counter-hegemonic aspirations. I told already the Gramscian aspirations and Basically, they did two things, contentious activities mm -hmm. which the Fides could act as a movement party that used uh, uh, the opportunities of the, the conventional political arena, uh, parliamentary committees, uh, election campaigns, and so on, combined with what social movements know, know, know best, social protest, on the one hand. On the other yeah. hand, since this was a major project of Hungarians about what does it mean to be Christian? What does it mean to be uh, uh, a, a, a citizen, a civic mm -hmm. person? What does it mean being Hungarian, member of a nation, right? There were fights about these issues. Uh, and what does it mean to uh, be European? There was a lot of educational activity. Basically from 2002, the right outcompeted the left and liberals in terms of social protest. But this is also true if you consider uh, duration and number of participation. Mm -hmm. uh, number of participants in the protest. So, uh, and, and we have, of course, also not merely numerical quantitative information, but qualitative information about this protest. After 2002, the civic circles were very frequently mentioned, organized sponsors uh, of the protests or um, uh, circles who sent participants. So, mm -hmm. so there was a, a very active protest movement against the policies of the, the left liberal government of the socialists and the liberals against war, uh, about environmental issues, about issues of the nation, mm -hmm. and also electoral mobilization. So well, these the other aspect for Fidesz is in power, and what you're saying is that we see the movement preparing practicing, rehearsing some of its ideology and policy offerings and, and being active in the streets. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So what you see here is almost a prefigurative politics mm -hmm. of what came uh, from 2010, 
namely right to lead to victory of Christian nationalist anti-liberal ideas on the street mm -hmm. before they could do it from the parliament and in the government. Mm -hmm. And the other point which is interesting and relates to, to, your, to your previous argument is that sometimes um, people think about supporters of populist movements or center-right movements in Central Europe as the losers of the transition. But in a way you've made the argument that the people, the participants in this civic circles movements are not the economic losers of the transition. They might even be the economic winners. It's a different point though, if we think about them culturally, and if we think about um, the transition, reinforcing the global hegemony of, of socially progressive liberalism. And in that way, yeah. the movements are uniting and mobilizing the cultural losers of the transition who are seeking to um, articulate, for seeking to articulate a right-wing identity that tackles the question of the nation, of Christianity, and how anti-communism and anti-liberalism can be merged. Yes, uh, absolutely. We are again in the uh, same camp with, with this. And let me add something which is extremely interesting. So the whole movement took off in a period where the left liberal government implemented a program of transformation with welfare, mm -hmm. uh, which means that uh, already in 2002, but continuing in 2003, all these social conservative intellectual groups got uh, long overdue salary raises. Mm. So the issue really was that it was difficult, especially from the opposition, to attack the mm. left liberals, uh, the left liberal government, at least initially, until the crisis, right? Mm. With um, austerity, of course, then there was a criticism on, on, on this aspect as well. But what I see rather is, that understand that they are raising on a material dimension still did not mean that these uh, educated uh, conservative groups were became supporters of the left liberal regime because they felt that their social upward mobility is only partial. Mm. That no matter that uh, the information uh, followed uh, a, a communist or a soft uh, um, oppressive uh, communist dictatorship, they still did not feel that a material raise uh, of their living standards and livelihood uh, was combined with what they felt the superiority of this final mm. nation, traditional family, uh, traditional holidays, and Christianity. So there was much at stake, but as you say, yeah, it's mostly cultural initial, right? So in this period mm -hmm. of some of the golden years of the Hungarian economy, right before and after the 
EU accession period. So it's about education. Mm -hmm. So one may ask, okay, so do people need to be re-educated or educated about what does it mean to be Hungarian? What, what does it mean uh, civic activism or European? Yes, they felt there is such an, and actually what you find here is the title of a prize winning manual for civic circles. It's only one of many that were circulated uh, nationwide and even in the neighboring countries, which gave ideas about the very concrete uh, events and activities and the values mm -hmm. that could help to rebuild the Hungarian right and civic culture. And you see a very Gramscian title, mm -hmm. Recapture Everyday Life and the Holidays. A manual for civic circles. They were talking a lot among each other, and I can follow this through the lectures and the events uh, about what does it mean to uh, to be uh, you know member of imagined communities. So yes, they were not born as uh, you know Hungarians knowing what it means. All these things that about the nation Europe. Christianity were debated uh, in the, uh, generally in Hungary. And I think this is of course uh, a, a situation in other countries because these were not topics that were particularly cultivated under state socialism. So if you want to see ideas coming up, many of these about nationalism and uh, Christianity were not new but they acted as fresh, especially after communism, and they had to be educated. And, uh, and uh, <clears throat> so the, the imagined communities were in the making. Mm -hmm. The period of 2002-2006, which was the, the, the strongest uh, showing uh, of the civic circle activity. The, the, the holidays, the heroes, the symbols, the networks, uh, larger organizations of the Hungarian right were basically reconstituted, reorganized by the Hungarian right. Now, a uh, major issue, uh, however, that uh, actually uh, indicated for Fidesz uh, that, uh, and, and uh, the other right-wing parties, and this in particularly Orban as well, that uh, uh, merely identity-based politi politics and politization uh, of uh, issues uh, will not be enough to win an election. Was a referendum about the dualship and hospital privatization in Hungary. Dual citizenship was meant to be offered to ethnic Hungarians living in the neighboring countries and was made particularly important by the EU accession because a dual citizenship meant um, a, a passport uh, to Europe. Mm -hmm. At the same time, so the nationalist organizations 
mobilized both in Hungary and neighboring countries, people to participate in this referendum. This, however, was combined with another referendum issue. It's about, uh, it was about hospital privatization, mm. which was initiated by an unreformed communist party in mm. Hungary. So the Hungarian Workers' Party. Now you see, it's a very strange marriage, right? Bringing mm -hmm. together social conservative intellectuals, sometimes the, uh, with communists, and then many things in between. Now, uh, just to tell two words about this referendum, the referendum was not valid. Uh, and part of the story is that the left liberal rulers tried to convince people with a chauvinist and partly xenophobic rhetorics that they should, should not go to vote. Why? Because the dual citizenship would enable millions of Romanians to uh, come to the Hungarian labor market and people were convinced or they tried to convince people not to pay for the social uh, welfare, uh, not to be, uh, not to allow to be threatened in the security of their jobs, not to pay uh, with their dreams uh, for uh, uh, offering uh, uh, dual citizenship to Hungarians across the borders, because this is anyway not a solution uh, for them, right? So this was a demobilizing campaign. However, uh, the, the right uh, basically had a mobilizing campaign on this uh, poster you see, campaign poster, you see famous Hungarians who were all born in the neighboring countries and people were asked, do they count as Hungarians? Say yes. Mm -hmm. So basically, all, even if the campaign uh, of the right was not successful, uh, actually the left liberal coalition was losing out uh, as a credible representative of the nation, the ethnically and culturally defined nation. At the same time, Fidesz realized that going merely for uh, identity projects will not be enough mm. to win an election and they have to open towards constituencies that have material grievances. Mm. Mm -hmm. So after <clears throat> the referendum then a gradual opening towards left-wing ideas uh, and, um, and, uh, and personalities started. So what meant that uh, uh, dissident left-wing pundits or politicians or professionals were more and more um, included and invited uh, in, th in the orbit of the civic circles movement, but also Fides, uh, including, for instance, a, a former uh, 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 President, uh, Prime Minister of the country, uh, uh, so former President of the country, 
then uh, there was an organizational opening towards a nationalist social democratic splinter party and also a Christian national trade union, both marginalized by the left liberals and more and more an increasing attention to the materialities of the losers of the transformation, pensioners, workers, uh, and the uh, poor, uh, basically. As to the pundits and politicians and their ideas from the left, and also these uh, splinter parties and trade unions, uh, Basically, what happened or started to happen was that uh, ideas and organizations and personalities which were squeezed out from the mainstream liberal left thinking found increasingly a shelter uh, within the movements and parties of the right. Mm Meanwhile, uh, the financial crisis and the Great Recession started. It is also true that the uh, left increasingly lost its credibility uh, as a, as a so political force uh, that has sensitivity for issues of, uh, of social disparities, inequality, and so forth. And the new strategy of Orban and the Fidesz party uh, basically pointed uh, to the need of what he considered an alliance of the middle class with the poor or uh, with the workers and the poor in different formulation. He used different social uh, stratification categories. The civic circles movement remained uh, but uh, lost primary influence and the, um, the focus of political struggle and social struggle was taken over by what is called a civic social base, uh, again, Orban's uh, invention uh, together with others, which was led by an independent politician, not a party politician who then later um, for multiple terms, the mayor of Budapest. Uh, and before 2008, he was running against a liberal candidate and only marginally lost. Uh, there was a leading, new leading body, uh, which included mayors uh, from the uh, deprived Rosbelt towns of Hungary's poorest regions, and even the Roma community, the country's sizable Roma community. Hmm. And a new movement agenda included a social referendum in 2008 uh, about doctor visit fees, which were introduced by the liberals, fees for days spent in hospital, which they wanted to introduce, and tuition fees for higher education, uh, but was also um, aiming at nurturing local networks and programs of social protection, care and social reintegration in order again to cement the alliance of the middle classes and the poor and the workers uh, in some sort of community, community of care this time, right? 
Now, <clears throat> again, the, the, uh, there was a re the referendum then politicized education and uh, healthcare as issues of equal access to culture. So basically the argument was that workers' children and poor people's children in a liberal reformed austerity higher education system could never again study. And this is not acceptable. That these people have to pay visit fees to the doctors when they often have no, not enough money, not in for physical survival. So the issue of healthcare and education in a way brought together the core of the previous civic circle period, teachers and doctors and nurses, and the new uh, 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 activism, uh, more left-wing uh, materially, uh, activism, uh, liberalism as neoliberalism, right? And the main event was the 2008 social referendum about fees for healthcare and higher education, as I told. The civic social base, the quote-unquote right-wing social base, had a leftist mobilization saying, yes, uh, for, uh, for uh, you know, stopping the privatization, the visit fees, you can save a lot and they call it social referendum. Mm. The, the left, however, had an anti-socialist demobilization strategy. Mm. They told that this is a referendum about socialism, which thank you, we don't, we don't need that back, mm -hmm. which was awkward and ironical in many ways, mm -hmm. especially in a period where hundred thousands of Hungarians suffered from the uncertainty and increasing social inequality due to the 2008, due, due to the Great Recession, mm -hmm. and actually did have an appetite some, for, some, for the coming back of some sort of Qadari socialism, right? So again, a mobilization against a demobilization. Yeah. Yeah, so, so in a way, you, you've now told us a story of, of Fidesz going in opposition in 2002. And as the party is going in opposition, it starts to rebuild itself, but at the civic level, with these socially conservative groups centered around the, around the middle class. And not only is it mobilizing at the civic level, but it's also beginning to practice um, political participation in key referendums, right? And over time, as it's practicing the, at these votes, Fidesz is assembling an electoral block, which has now expanded from the middle social conservative class towards um, we're adding workers and the poor and adding at the ideological level, a lot more materialist or at least protectionist and social distribution um, uh, policy proposals. Okay, so, so then uh, what happens after the crisis hits and eventually it brings Fidesz to power? Clearly, since 2010, uh, Fidesz is extremely uh, successful politically. So we are talking here 
uh, about a large number of elections at all levels, uh, municipal, uh, European uh, parliamentary elections, as well as national parliamentary elections that in by Fidesz and uh, several of them uh, landslide to third victory. Now, of course, uh, the literature, the existing literature uh, stresses the repressive character mm. uh, of the regime securing this uh, repeated victories, mm. which is of course not true for the first uh, election in 2010, which they, which Fidesz won uh, two thirds. Um, now, three, that the repressive character, the eliminate free media, the feeling of uh, important checks and balances uh, positions with Fidesz lawyers, uh, the uh, uh, basically gerrymandering uh, big time uh, of electoral districts, uh, the uh, redistribution of campaign support uh, to the detriment of opposition uh, play an important role. Uh, but my story is about the other aspects, how actually the mobilization capacity of Fidesz, even within this uh, obviously biased uh, uh, formal political uh, arena, um, had them regularly to outcompete uh, the opposition. Mm -hmm. So basically, <clears throat> the first point would be yes, uh, in line with much of the literature that is uh, rightly critical with the authoritarian tendencies of the Fidesz regime, which by now is clearly an authoritarian regime, at least to my recollection. So it's a competitive authoritarian regime, mind it, uh, a matching uh, category. Uh, what happened also, however, that uh, the regime nationalized the system compatible movement base. Um, and I will tell a word about it in a minute, which went hand in hand with the quite aggressive campaigns, court cases, restricting laws uh, mm. of the liberal, Chorosist uh, non-governmental organizations, human rights groups, um, uh, uh, groups involved in um, um, issues of, of gays and, and lesbians, uh, feminist uh, 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 groups, pro-poor groups uh, that the regime found uh, um, uh, not just uh, unnecessary, but dangerous to the system, of course, against the education system. So here, the nationalization of its own movement base, meaning that uh, the, the center and the government and the party from that point dictated uh, to, the, to the, the right wing civil society went hand in hand with the repression mm. of the movement, movement base of the opponents. Mm. There was an intensifying culture war uh, or rather in the plural culture wars against gender, uh, 
as a, as a, as a contrast to the traditional family and uh, sexual roles and social roles, the migrants, uh, famous stories, I will not in detail about it, on political correctness and globalization. And finally, increasingly even the EU as a colonizing actor and a supranational uh, uh, government undermining uh, mm. national sovereignty. Mm -hmm. But then there was another aspect here, uh, which meant uh, uh, efforts to acquire output legitimacy through a half term to economic nationalism, which is an interesting issue because it happened in a country that went extremely far in economic globalization, a country where basically, according to all the literature, including uh, the one that I produced together with Dorothy Bole, is considered or was considered and is still to be considered as a foreign threat. Mm -hmm. uh, dependent capitalist regime. So there was more attention to supporting the native business class. Uh, and with a, a, a full strategy of uh, not really challenging the most powerful agents, German capital, manufacturing capital, and the binding rules of the EU single market. So it's a, a funny combination of neoliberalism with some sort of economic uh, nationalism, more than lip service to it, right? Uh, but still uh, uh, basically uh, subordinated to a, a main, mainly maintained uh, neoliberal development framework. And then welfare, uh, combining welfare policies for employed middle-class families, rather generous, uh, supporting both uh, family, uh, children, childcare, and the, and the employment of a regime wants both, right? And then a repressive workfare for the unemployed poor, which allows distribution of uh, public works, and inclusion into public works programs for political loyalty that is then controlled at the local level. Mm -hmm. So this is how I see basically the, uh, the, 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 the framework, new framework uh, in a nutshell. So the civic basically gave, uh, uh, were replaced by what is called a civic association forum which is basically uh, a government-sponsored uh, NGOs, which claims have maintain or keep the spirit of the civic circles and is uh, very successful, uh, of course, supported by the state of organizing major demonstrations of hundreds of thousands of people uh, whenever the government is seen as threatened by various colonizers, mm. be it the European Union or the mm. IMF or the international financial uh, community. Now, the interesting is that uh, there is research, uh, existing empirical research on the mindset of the peace marchers, the people who mm. actually 
participate in these demonstrations. So what uh, is found is that first of all, these are people who trust democracy. The mm -hmm. democracy uh, as they want it, as they see it, that's for them democracy, including, of course, uh, suppressing uh, the opposition whose ideas and projects and purposes they find uh, they, they intensely dislike. So that's democracy for them, right? Uh, uh, which is, of course, the opposite of civicness. Uh, then uh, what differentiates between them and the demonstration participants is that these people participate in, uh, in much greater numbers in patriotic and religious organizations and follow the right-wing media. So this is really the civic circle spirit, e even, even nowadays. And then uh, uh, just to be faithful, to follow the events through uh, referenda, there was also an important in 2016 about the EU's refugee relocation quota, which would have relocated a rather limited number uh, of refugees from other countries such as Italy uh, or Greece who took a large number of refugees into Hungary. Now, uh, the government, the Fidesz government organized with huge uh, campaign, uh, campaign a referendum uh, about this, uh, that we should, Hungarians should send a message to Brussels that we don't want this. And then here, <clears throat> actually, again, uh, the usual pattern. You see a xenophobic anti-EU mobilization by the right-wing rulers who ask their followers to go and vote no uh, for the plan of, uh, on the plan of Brussels. And again, you have a rather timid, rather demobilizing left liberal opposition campaign, uh, pro-EU demobilization, I would call it, Stay at home, stay in Europe. Uh, don't go to vote. Uh, now, I understand that, first of all, the government uh, decided about this referendum, and it's very, very um, restrictive with any other referendum topics. Uh, they would not think to win. Nevertheless, there is, of course, uh, a problem with the whole idea that being European means political passivism, right? Mm -hmm. Of course, the rational explanation of this boycott was that the question uh, the government asked from people doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And there is a strange feeling that the left and liberals don't mobilize. They don't want, they cannot. They, they feel discomfort with people on the street whenever they are in government or in the opposition, the right always mobilizes. So there is here some, this kind of, mm -hmm. um, in a way, sort of an indirect uh, justification of thinking the social embeddedness of the left and the right in Hungary. Mm -hmm. So then the story of Fidesz in power is now a story of the party 
that uses the state to support the movement that brought it to power. It's also a story of a party that continues to use the movement to mobilize voters, either in the streets or at key votes. It's also a story of intensifying cultural wars, but also um, increased attention to economic nationalism and welfare to hold this electoral bloc um, of the middle class on the one hand and workers and the poor on the other hand together within this um, right-wing identity community. Um, and what's interesting also is that you speak to this evolution of Hungary's or Fidesz's relationship with the EU, whereas they started with Fidesz arguing Europe is our future, Hungary is our country, to um, in, the, in the early and mid 2000s to um, mid 2010s when we see Fidesz radicalized and being openly um, EU, anti-EU and Eurosceptic. And, and that actually takes me nicely to, um, to the last question I have for you today. So how should we think about the resilience of Fidesz um, given your lens of uh, emphasizing its social embeddedness? When you think about and ask about issues of identity and culture, my main question always was uh, looking at the left liberal opposition, whether uh, that opposition could build on encompassing cultural categories fraternities, imagined communities, to the extent that Fidesz captured some of the most important ones, nation, religion, gave a, a big uh, the, the particular interpretation of Europe. So what would be the glue that brings together those who try to mobilize smaller communities, all in love with freedom and respect for diversity, but having uh, fragmented attachments mm. to issues. Uh, so that's about, that's about, so, and, and here I have more questions than answers. Mm. Does the left liberal opposition need an encompassing category? Uh, if so, do they have to reinterpret the relationship to the national banner and the cross? Or do they look for something else? World society, I don't know. Europe as such, uh, we are in trouble with the, with the European uh, idea, <laughs> although it's attractive. Uh, it divides as much as it, it uh, binds together. Are, uh, you are familiar with the current situation in which the all the opposition parties are now sharing uh, a platform against the government and try to bring together an electoral uh, uh, block, a multicultural, multi-class electoral block. Now the question would be, how to turn them into identity communities. So the opportunity structure here has had always a very strong uh, 
supranational uh, aspect. So the European Union and the world. Now, the European Union is uh, just like its individual nation states uh, amidst a large number of crises. Uh, COVID environment rising, uh, uh, although there are ups and downs here, uh, rising um, populist uh, authoritarian challenges, people are on the street. Uh, this is probably the opportunity, window of opportunity that Orban felt uh, opening uh, a project in a cultural war project that actually beyond Hungary. Mm -hmm. Because now we hear more and more, and this is actually an older story, so it started with the refugee crisis already in 2015, that he considers uh, Hungary too small for his ambitions and more and more wants to restructure the European Union, putting mm -hmm. its back on its base, respecting Christian values, national sovereignty, uh, equality of nations, uh, and, 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 and the like, and so forth. As, as the premier of a, of a, of a small country, uh, he would not have much chance to change. Now the issue is how far he got with it. Tells me about important supporters that have a, that share a similar project of redrawing the European Union from what it was. So therefore, I, I think that uh, in terms of political opportunity structure, you see all the important points in the European Union. There is electoral realignment, growing access to decision-making because there is chaos. There are divided elites. You see it in all, all the countries, friends in court. And therefore, even a relatively weak country if you look at it uh, in a European context, can achieve unexpected uh, advances. Mm -hmm. uh, so therefore, uh, I think both the domestic and the international external conditions make the uh, prediction here uh, difficult in the sense that both a survival and further resilience and even further export to the European level and the defeat in both arenas is part of the possibilities. So the fate of the Fidesz movement will not be decided in Hungary alone? No. Thank you. So. Thank you so much, Professor Greskowitz, for joining me. It's been really a fascinating co conversation on the electoral and civic mobilization in Hungary. Um, we look forward to your upcoming publications on this topic, and I have two ones that I wish to highlight. The first one is uh, a chapter in an edited volume on global challenges to democracy, and it's titled Nationalist Passion, Economic Interest in Viktor Orban's Rise and Resilience in Power. And the second one is co-authored with Dorothy Bolle, Coming Out in Europe's Rule of Law Crisis. And this chapter is called Gender and Right-Wing Civic Mobilization, Political Economy and Politics in Hungary. This was the rise and resilience of populism in Eastern Europe. 
special thanks to our audience for listening. We hope you will tune in for our future interviews as well. For those and other events sponsored by the European Institute of Columbia, please, did, please visit the Institute's website, europe.columbia.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter at Columbia Europe. Thank you for joining us. <laughs>